So, uh, as I said, uh, as Paul said before, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Chris. If we haven't had a chance to say hi yet, uh, along with Paul and a number of others, uh, we are on the leadership team of this church, which is led by Nigel and Joe, who are away. They are in uh, at Coleraine Vineyard, Causeway Coast Vineyard, uh, this weekend at a conference. So we've been looking at a series. Uh, I've got a handout for you that should be going around. Uh, we've been looking at it. Uh, could I have the first slide up? Is that okay, guys? Brilliant. Thank you so much. So the series is called What on Earth is the Vineyard and Why Are We a Part of It? Uh, so the vineyard, this, this church is called Winchester Vineyard. The vineyard bit isn't an accident. We are part of a family of churches of which there are around about a hundred or so in the UK and a few hundred worldwide. Uh, the UK has quite a number of them. And um, they are a, a movement of churches uh, which was founded around about 30, I'm trying to think, 35 years ago? Yeah, it's about as old as I am. So about 35 years ago uh, in South um, California, and uh, by a guy called John Wimber, and uh, the church that he he was part of and led in Anaheim, which is in Los Angeles, planted uh, a church in London in the mid late eighties called. Um, what am I trying to think? What it's called? I'm thinking Putney Vineyard, but it's not called that. Um, yeah, Southwest London Vineyard, that's the word, uh, led by um, John and Ella Mountford. And Hugh and Jeannie Cryer, who were in that church, planted this church from that church. Uh, so this was about 20-odd years ago. So, so this is kind of where we came from. This is our heritage. And we're kind of looking at why we are a part of this movement. You know, what, what is it about this movement that is interesting? What is it about it that is distinctive and is exciting? Uh, so if you could, uh, actually, I think I can do it. Let's see if this works. Yes, excellent. So uh, these are the different things about uh, the vineyard movement uh, that we uh, consider to be kind of the key integral parts of who we are and what we're doing. And we use an a analogy of a person, the vineyard person, to describe this. Uh, so just to quickly run through, we've been doing this for a few weeks, so most of you have hopefully got this by now, uh, that Jesus is the head of our church. Uh, you know, he should be the head of the whole church, and he certainly we want to make sure that he is the head of this church. Uh, the church is, fo- is foundationally built upon the Bible, and the theology of the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of God theology is incredibly important because it brings together both the Bible-believing church and the Spirit-filled church together under one banner. And that's one of the main things that the vineyard brought to the wider church. So that's the kind of the basis of who we are, the, the idea of the kingdom of God breaking into this world and based on the teaching that is found in the Bible. Nigel spoke a couple of weeks ago about worship, and he spoke about compassion, so the two legs on which we stand. Uh, Worship is a foundational part of what we do here, and also compassion, serving those who need help. Uh, We have a lot of uh, work that we do here, both out on the streets in Winchester, uh, in a number of different places, and also with our children's storehouse here, and a number of other things uh, to do with that. So that's a a fundamental principle of who we are. Uh, Then last week, Joe talked about uh, the, the kind of fundamental components of what a church is. It's a community, it's a hospital, it's a school, and it's also an army. So she talked a little bit about what the different aspects of of church is for a vineyard. And this week I have the arms. So we're talking about church development and uh, church planting. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what those mean and why they are important. My aim is to uh, to kind of talk about both of those. Often they're kind of thought about of as in and out. I don't know if you've heard those expressions. Sometimes church is described as up, in and out. So we look up to God, we look into ourselves, and we look out to the world. That's a useful and helpful analogy, but I think it's incomplete. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, another way of looking at uh, church development and church planting that we're going to talk about today. And also, as part of this, I want to bust a few myths about evangelism. 
which um, as soon as I say that, I can feel the temperature dropping slightly. Uh, people, people don't like that word, and, and I think with good reason, so we'll talk a bit about that as well. So church development and church planting, I put them here like this because I really think that these things are two sides of the same coin. I think that church development is really about growth and addition and growing to our, growing ourselves and growing as people and growing as a community. And church planting is really about multiplication. Okay, so we have uh, growing in ourselves, uh, growing in our small groups, growing as a church, growing as a movement, but we also have uh, replicating ourselves through making disciples. We have uh, replicating small groups and we have replicating churches in the form of church planting. Okay, so they're really two sides of the same coin. Okay, so the next slide. I just want to talk about growth for a bit uh, first. So if you're into arithmetic, you can think about this as addition, if that's your thing. Uh, Another way of thinking about it is perhaps being discipled. Okay, so let's think about being discipled for a minute. The word disciple, it's a little bit of a weird word. Um, For me, I immediately think about some little guy in a robe um, who's kind of following around some great religious person. That's, that's the immediate thought that I have. Uh, and, and it's a kind of word we bandy around in church quite a bit, isn't it? We say, oh yeah, we're discipling so-and-so or being disciple. But I think it's worth thinking about what it actually means, especially if we haven't done that before. The word comes from the Latin word disciplus, unsurprisingly, uh, which means learner. Okay, um, so in our context, it's someone who is learning about Jesus, someone who is trying to follow Jesus. Um, another interpretation of that word is that it could mean to take apart, which is kind of interesting, or to take hold of. In, in the, when, when I say take apart, I really mean like you might take apart a radio or a computer to try and find out how it works. Does that make sense? Um, or kind of taking hold of something, really trying to grasp something. Okay, so being discipled is kind of an interesting word that doesn't necessarily mean what we might first think that it means. So let's have a look at what Jesus said about growth and about uh, kind of growing through things. And and one of the best ways, uh, one of the main ways that he talked about this uh, was in the notes that I can't find. There we go, other other sheet. Uh, He talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven, and he used some really interesting uh, parables or kind of uh, metaphors or images for the kingdom of heaven, which I just want to look at for a minute. So if you uh, have a look at this verse from Matthew 13. This is Jesus teaching the people, um, I think probably on a street somewhere. So the kingdom of heaven, uh, he was saying to the people, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. That's it. No explanation. That's what we get. So we have to try and figure out what that means. Okay, so the second one that he used just after that is this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Okay, so these are two um, parables that Jesus talked about growing the kingdom, the kingdom and growth. Now, it's interesting in both of these cases, if you look, both in the mustard seed and also in the yeast, what would happen if you had a mustard seed and you just kind of left it on your hand? You just kind of put it on a table somewhere and looked at it every day to see what would happen. What would happen? Nothing would happen. It would probably just go dry and a bit shriveled, wouldn't it? That's pretty much what would happen. What happens with yeast if you just leave it in the little silver packets you get? 
what would happen? I left some yeast in my cupboard for about six months once. It had tiny little bugs in it that were moving around. It was like moving yeast. It was disgusting. We had to throw it out. So um, not, not really anything good happens to yeast when you just leave it there. Interestingly, both of these growth parables are about action, are about something that people do. Have you noticed that? So the man has to actually plant the seed. The woman has to actually mix the yeast into uh, the flour. Um, 30 kilograms of flour. Why did he say 30 kilograms of flour? He could have just said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a little bit of flour and then it kind of grew like dough. But he didn't. He made a point about saying 30 kilograms of flour. I don't know how many of you guys know or think about this. That's a lot of flour. That is a lot of bread and a lot of dough that you might be making. So why did Jesus say that? Putting that yeast into that flour would have been an incredibly slow process, adding the water and making the dough. That would have taken probably, I don't know, all day, I suppose, of hard physical work to do that. So being discipled, growing in the kingdom, is an active action. It's not a passive thing. It's not sitting in church and listening to me or listening to a podcast on the internet somewhere. Um, or it's just kind of sitting and hoping that God might do something to you to turn uh, you into someone who is more like Jesus. It's something that we go and get. Interestingly, there is something that we can do. Um, we, we, we go, we dive in, we get involved, we learn about Jesus, we grasp things, we are disciple, we take hold of things, we learn as much as we can. Um, so it's not something that we have to kind of just sit back and let happen to us. The idea is that we go after it. Okay. It's quite possible that you might be sitting here today and that's never really occurred to you. That actually there's something that you can do in order to become more like Jesus. Because we see we're taught that we don't have to kind of do things to get Jesus' forgiveness. And that is of course true. He forgives us anyway before we've done, everything, before we've done anything. However, to, to be disciple, to grow and to learn, there is something that we can do. We can go after God. Uh, we can go after, uh, pe- maybe find someone who is slightly further along in uh, the journey than us. Maybe who is slightly older or a slightly different life stage to us. And just ask them to teach you about uh, what they know about Jesus. You know, ask them, you know, what, what about this question? Or, or how do I figure out how to do this? Or how do I stop doing this thing that I really don't want to do in my life? You know, help me because I need help. And that's true for all of us. We can't just wait and expect um, something to happen or something to change. It's really important that we go after our discipleship, and that's a really important principle. Uh, we talk a little bit about here about us owning our own discipleship. Our discipleship is something that we own. It's something that we do. It's something that we figure out. It's one of the reasons that in the last few months in this church, we have changed the way that we uh, organize life groups. don't know if you've noticed, but we, we're now running them on a termly sign-up basis. And the idea is that uh, every term you look at what's available and you try and figure out, okay, where am I at? Where am I at with God? Who could really teach me something? How, what can I learn? Should I go to a course about how to manage my money? Should I go and learn about how to uh, figure out my teenage kids? Or should I learn about... Uh, maybe Maybe just join a life group and get stuck into a community. Do you see what I mean? So there's a chance every, uh, every term, three times a year, to actually think about what that means for us and to actually uh, kind of push into what God has for us for the next term. And that's one of the reasons we did that, because being discipled is an active action. Um, otherwise, what can happen is we sit in the same kind of rut for years and years, not really ever growing and changing. 
And that's not something that is, is what we really want, ultimately. We, we want to be pushing forward and growing to be more like Jesus. Um, so it's a little bit like reaching up and having someone else grab you. Isn't it? I tried to find a picture of it, um, but um, there are these people who kind of who go up mountains uh, and and they don't really want to climb them, so they get someone to hoist them up the cliff, you know. And it's just ridiculous, you know. What, what's the point? You might as well just go around, you know, or, or get a helicopter to drop you on the top. It's a little bit like expecting someone to just come along with a helicopter and get you to the top of the mountain, rather than actually reaching up and grabbing uh, and having someone else pull you up. Um, now, it's also important to talk about uh, in the wider church. How does this play out? How does this play out in the wider church? Well, uh, in the way that we tend to encourage uh, discipleship in this church is we encourage people to be in some sort of life group every term. Those life group leaders have uh, people called encouragers, which are people who are, are there to kind of look out for them and for them to turn to should they need help and discipling. Um, and then as a wider group, we have the leadership team who runs uh, and, and oversees and uh, serves this church, but also... Uh, Nigel and Joe, who run this church, have overseers. Uh, so they have a couple called Andy and Bethan Chapman, who run Riverside Vineyard. They've been here t- uh, before uh, in London, and they directly oversee uh, them and, and kind of look after them and meet with them every so often to talk about how things are going for them personally. Um, Nigel is also the area overseer for all the different vineyard churches in the South region. So there are about, I, I think, about a dozen churches who are all overseen by him in this region. And um, he, in turn, has a regional overseer who is James Rankin, who is in Cardiff Vineyard. Okay, and then the Vineyard, um, they also uh, are part of a leadership group which oversees the Vineyard nationally, and the national leaders uh, are John and Ellen Mumford at the moment, uh, and soon to be John and Debbie Wright, who are taking over in September. And they are part of a global council which oversees all of the churches. So this whole kind of process of accountability and oversight is built into the Vineyard at its very core. You know, we're very keen on making sure that uh, we are in accountable relationships. Um, I don't know how many of you have been in churches where those relationships just haven't been there. Things tend to go wrong. Churches tend to split. And that can be very painful for everyone. So accountability and good relationships so that we can grow healthily are really important. Okay, multiplication. So we've talked about growth, uh, but we aren't just called to grow, we are called to multiply. Uh, these are the final words of the book of Matthew, the account of, of Jesus' life, written by Matthew. And uh, this is what Jesus said, literally in the last, the last dying words of the, of the book. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't know about you, I've read those verses a few times. Uh, I, many of you have probably said, oh yes, I know that bit, it's called the Great Commission. Okay, And sometimes we just say the Great Commission and we forget what Jesus actually said in the Great Commission. Um, oh yeah, 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 the Great Commission is what we say. And it can be very easy, and I do this as well, absolutely, become complacent about what Jesus said. And sometimes I think we interpret these verses like this. Therefore, go and give out lots of little bits of, of, of leaflets or information about Jesus to anyone who you meet who you think it might not be actually a Christian yet, in the hope that one day they might someday read it and then come along to a church, perhaps even yours, so that they can maybe join your kind of club thing. Okay, that's not what Jesus said. But that's often how I interpret what Jesus is saying. And I don't know about you guys, but this is a mistake that I make so often. 
or it may be, therefore go and perhaps invite the person who's sitting next to you at the cinema uh, along to your church just in case they might possibly want to go in the hope that the preacher who is an expert on all these things might actually say something useful so that they might be convicted and come to know Jesus. Uh, Again, he, he didn't really say that either. What he said was, go and make disciples. Now, in one way, that's incredibly releasing because I don't know about you, I find it very awkward to sit in the cinema and hope that someone might actually want to talk to me about Jesus. I was part of a mission a few, a long time ago now, actually, about 20 years ago, where uh, I was, <clears throat> I had to go out on the streets of San Francisco and just randomly talk to people about Jesus and just say, I want to tell you about Jesus, I want to tell you about Jesus. I find that so difficult. I don't know about you. Some people are really good at that and they, and they do it really well. And that's brilliant. But that's something that I find really hard. And I did it. And I went up to one person. I remember it to this day. And I said, I came over because I wanted to tell you about Jesus. And she said, I'm not interested at all in hearing what you have to say. And I said, okay, fine, thanks. And I went my way and she went her way. (laughs) And that was really sad. And I thought, I have failed in my mission to tell people about Jesus. But that wasn't my mission. My mission was to make disciples. Okay, it's not to try and find random people to tell about Jesus. Now, If God gives you a word for someone and you know you have to give it to someone, absolutely go and give it. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that Jesus' emphasis here was on discipling, not on converting. And there's a big difference here. Okay, Uh, This is about pouring our lives into the lives of other people as God directs us, whether or not they are believers. Okay, Helping those people to walk ever closer to Jesus. Now, in in some way, that feels more achievable to me because we just ask God who we should spend our time with, who we should pour our lives into. But in some ways, that's much more costly because when I just go up and randomly talk to someone, that doesn't require any kind of emotional expenditure on my behalf. I can just do that and walk away. I'm not committed. Whereas making disciples requires commitment and effort and time, which is which are scarce resources in our culture. So it's about finding those people of peace, finding those people that God is saying, you know, just spend time with that person. Try and help them. Try and move them along in wherever they're at. Now that person may be a believer. That person may not be a believer. But the good news is, is that we can disciple people who aren't yet following Jesus. I don't know if you knew that, but you can. You can do this. Uh, Wimber once said a really weird thing. I don't know if you've ever heard this expression. He said once, the meat is on the street. What an odd thing to say. Let me just try and explain to you why he said that. Um, so there's a bit in the Bible where Paul talks about uh, you have the milk of the word or, or uh, like the milk of the teaching that they were learning and the meat of the word. Uh, the meat of the teaching they were learning. And he was saying that you have been given milk because you were babies and you need to transition onto solid food. Okay, and, and, and no one really understood what he meant. And so people used to come and ask John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, you know, what does that even mean? What does it mean, the milk of the word and the meat of the word? When do we get the meat? It feels like you're giving us all the easy stuff. When do we get the, the meat? And Wimber turned around and said, the meat is on the streets. By which he meant that if you want to uh, actually move on from these fundamental truths, you simply need to go and teach other people about them. Disciple other people, preferably people who are out there and not in here. Um, and actually, that's profoundly challenging, isn't it? So just gathering people and, and figuring out, uh, you know, who is it that God is, is speaking to me about, uh, learn, about pouring my life into? It is more costly, but it is more achievable. Now, 
there's another principle here that I want to talk about. We don't always need... It feels a bit scary, doesn't it? Because we think, okay, well, if I, if I kind of go to talk to people, they won't be interested or they won't want to know about Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's not really been my experience. Most people that I speak to who aren't really following Jesus are actually quite interested in the sorts of things that he had to say. Uh, what they don't like is religion, the church, and Christianity. Do you know what I mean? Is that your experience? So they don't really like uh, the fact that there were the Crusades and things like that. And they don't really like all of the kind of the smells and the bells and things like that. And that's all fine. But, but um, that's not really what they're into. Uh, and they don't really like any kind of religion where they have to do stuff in order to get, you know, get right with God. But they like Jesus. They don't mind Jesus. You know, Jesus says some really interesting things. You know, he, had, he was a good moral teacher. You know, and, and like uh, Nigel said at the first week, a great question to ask comes from a guy called Jay Pather, which says, oh, really? He was a great teacher. That's great. I think so too. You know, which of his teachings do you find the most interesting and why? Um, and they go, oh, well, I don't really know about you know, his teachings. But, but oh, well, do you like to, you know, would you like to hear more about them? Oh, well, maybe. So, so there's a way of talking about our faith which isn't talking about uh, the church. It isn't trying to say, oh, we have great um, snacks after church or we have nice music or whatever. You know, we don't have to open with that, with that line. You know? Just talk about Jesus. Who here has seen uh, a great movie in the last, I don't know, months? Anyone? Will, what's the movie you saw? Empire Strikes Back. Awesome. Why do you like it? It's a classic movie. It's just, it is the best of the three. Don't you agree? Absolutely. I, I'm not counting the first three. They don't count at all. But the, for the, the first three, sorry, the second three, then the prequels, they don't really count. The, um, the, out of the kind of the three original Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back is the best one. See, Will and I probably could have a conversation about that for about an hour, probably, about all the good bits about it. It's quite easy. And most of you are like, well, whatever. But anyway, uh, so um, some of you are like, yeah, and some of you are like, oh my goodness. But anyway, so we can talk about that for a while. It's easy to talk about a great movie that we've seen. Ellie and I saw a movie last, uh, was it two nights ago, last night, called A Testament of Youth. Has anyone of you guys seen that yet? That's an amazing movie. It's about uh, Vera Britton's book and the First World War and her childhood friends and they all went off to war. It's a 70-year-old book, so I'll spoil it for you. And they all die, basically. It's very, very sad. Um, It's, you know, it's it's just, and it's a true story. It's absolutely tragic. Uh, You know, so so, um, it's just just one of those films that you just think, oh my goodness, I am so lucky that I didn't live, I don't know, 70, 80, 90 years ago. uh, That I was born 110 years later than that or whatever it was. Um, so, so lucky. And, and I, I left, I, I, I remember waking up the next morning feeling this emotional weight and had to go up on Wikipedia and read about all the real characters just to kind of process this in my own mind. Now, a great movie has that impact on us, doesn't it? How much more does Jesus have that impact on us? Ultimately, if we really kind of tap into that, it's a huge amount, isn't it? There's so many things that I could talk about about the difference that Jesus has made to my life. And, and ultimately... Um, it comes down to sharing what you love with the people that you love. See, Will and I are mates. We've been mates for a while. We could talk about Empire Strikes Back for a while. Um, because I love Empire Strikes Back and I love my friend Will and we just, we can chat over coffee about this stuff. In the same way, if we get to know people around us, we can simply share what we love with those we love. We can simply share about Jesus with the people that are around us. Now, if we find that hard, there are, there are two reasons that that could be tricky. So if we're finding it difficult to share Jesus with people who don't know him, one reason could be that we don't love them enough, or that we don't have, what I mean is we don't have deep enough relationships with people around us. 
The other reason could be that we just don't have enough material on Jesus, or he hasn't made, made enough difference in our life, in which case we just need to press into him a bit more. So instead of trying to screw your courage up to talk to the person who you don't really know very well about the great mystery of the Trinity, how about let's just build deep relationships with the people around us and start discipling the people who we love and share about the stuff that we really like and care about and just talk about Jesus. Let's not talk about church. Let's not try and defend the Crusades. It's not worth doing. I can't defend that. Um, it It was an awful thing. So... You know, we kind of need to ensure that that we talk about Jesus and not about the church or about religion. And we can disciple non-believers. If you've been on all of the courses, we run some great courses here and I really recommend you go to them. But if you've been on all of those and you're looking for the next step in your walk with Jesus, how about pulling in some more people alongside you and teaching them what you know? You'll be amazed at what a difference that will make to their lives. Okay, so... uh, I've kind of run out of time to talk about small group multiplication, but we do, we have a number of, um, we start new groups every term and, and, uh, uh, and it can be quite hard when we multiply. Um, uh, small group multiplication and, and giving away what we have can be quite difficult. Um, so, you know, when we sent, we sent out a new group from our group recently and it was difficult. We lost some key people and it wasn't as good without them. But ultimately that then kind of uh, gets stronger and stronger um, and uh, the kingdom is multiplied. Um, in the same way, uh, when we are multiplying churches, we talk about church planting. Um, and this is a biblical principle that we see. Paul did this. He went from place to place and started new churches, identified leaders, released them, and then just moved on. Um, and this is a fundamental principle that it's really important uh, that we don't forget. Because ultimately, the best way to grow the church is through planting new churches or new expressions of church. Um, Oh, I've gone too far. There we go. This is a Pentecostal meeting in the 1950s. Okay? Uh, in the 1950s, there were around about a thousand Pentecostal churches. Okay? In the 1950s, the Pentecostal church split in two. I don't know if you knew this. It was a huge split, 50-50, either way. You see, there was one group of churches who wanted to focus solely on the power of God and ministry, superstars. They were looking to find the really powerful people and to continually pray for God to come back. Revival, revival, revival. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for revival, but that was their sole focus. You know, they didn't really care about reaching out. They just wanted to have bigger, more powerful meetings. And they were looking for the superstar who would 1K come and basically save the whole world. Um, you know, the fact is he'd already come. But anyway, uh, that's what they were looking for. Um, now, the other, fo- the other group of churches... Uh, the Assemblies of God group, the other 50%, wanted to focus more on mission and on church planting. Okay, didn't really want to focus so much on revival meetings, but they did want to focus on church planting. Now, it's interesting to fast forward about 70 years or so. Uh, today, the, uh, so they had about 500 churches in, in the first group, the revivalists, and about 500 churches in the Assemblies of God. Today, Assemblies of God churches are 67 million people are in Assemblies of God churches. In the other group, there's still 500 churches. Um, and the sad thing is, is they've lost their power. There's no more powerful meetings because they didn't manage to pass on what they had to their children. They had very powerful meetings, but it didn't, it didn't jump the generation because they didn't change the expression of church for a new generation. One of the reasons that church planning is important is because it changes the expression of church for a new and upcoming generation. 
Now, that doesn't just mean planting whole new churches, but it does mean planting new expressions of church, doing church in different ways with younger leaders to, to encourage it to be kind of different and new and interesting and exciting so that we can pass on what we know. Okay, now I'm obviously not saying that powerful meetings are wrong. We ask God to come in our meetings and we want to pray for God to, uh, to come and bless us and touch us and heal us and fill us up. Um, but the, the end result must be for mission. This is a tweet by Alan Scott. Uh, a couple of months, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, which Nigel quoted a few weeks ago, but I want to quote again because it's so good. Uh, he said, we spent so long inviting God to show up in our services that we missed his invitation to show up in our cities. Ultimately, getting out there, doing mission, doing church planting, befriending people, teaching them the things of God, sharing what we love with those we love is the key thing. Alan goes on to say, renewal meetings are good as long as they renew us for mission. Okay. I've been part of two church plants in my time. Uh, Bristol Vineyard, I joined as a student. Uh, there were two home groups. I think, I think the second home group had just started. Uh, there were about maybe 15 people in the whole church. Who here has been part of a church of that size and of that newness? Anna, because you were part of this church <laughs> when it was that big, and a few others. I think I saw the O'Connors here who were part of that church. Just maybe six or seven of you have been in a church that small. Uh, we also went to Greenwich Vineyard, which is now Trinity Vineyard Church. Uh, when they were less than that, I think they were only, I think we were people four and five, weren't we, or something? I mean, there was no one. It was, it was a small home group. It was just one group and it was a small one. Uh, you know, and, and that, that is, in one way, it's really fun and exciting. In another way, it's really hard work <laughs> because, um, uh, I had moved from Riverside Vineyard, which was about 500, 600 people. You know, there were teams upon teams. There were teams to serve the other teams coffee where they were doing the team thing. You know, it was just crazy. Teams everywhere. And it was, you know, the church just sort of happened around you. As a young person of about 17, I did get involved a bit. But, you know, it was just like, oh, wow, look at all these people doing all this stuff, this great church. Then I moved to Bristol. There was no church on a Sunday. Church was home group. And then when we joined, everybody had to help. And we all had to lug the PA out of the cupboard and across the stairs and into the cars and down. And in, uh, set it all up and set it all down again, and we all got home by about three, maybe if we were lucky. So it was a real effort, um, but it was so much fun, and it was really exhilarating. And uh, they are physically hard work, but it does feel a little bit like this, you know. Uh, it, it is difficult when you are leading worship every week, you know, because there's no one else to do it, or leading kids' ministry every week because uh, there's no one else. But building new things is exciting and it's essential because uh, the new expressions of church that we plant are the future of church. You know, we, a church has to evolve and grow. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the number of churches is directly correlated to the number of people that we can reach. Um, but we do have to give away. We constantly have to give away. Um, I want to show you a video by a guy called Rich Nathan. Uh, who runs Vineyard uh, Columbus in Ohio. It is, I think, the largest vineyard church in the world. Uh, so he has a, uh, he could easily kind of hoard all his people and rest on his laurels. Uh, but he's got about 9,000 people. Uh, but that's just not his attitude. And let's hear what he has to say about, um, about giving away your best people. Every pastor needs to recognize that the kingdom and serving the kingdom takes priority over just serving our local church. We are part of something bigger than ourselves, and we are part of something bigger than our local church. Because we're servants of the kingdom, uh, the king may ask us to take some of our resource and spread it around for the sake of the kingdom. And it will cost the local church, and it will cost the local pastor. If we give away our best which was a 
prophetic words spoken to us at, in, at Vineyard Columbus 20 years ago. The Lord spoke to us in the plainest way and said, you've got to be open-handed and give away your best. And that sounds great until you actually have to do it. Uh, because when you actually do it, you realize, I don't have someone who's a level 10 leader right now to replace them. It doesn't matter how large the church is. You know, it's going to come with a price. Uh, we just don't have an abundance of level 10 leaders. And, uh, but the kingdom asks for that. And so uh, uh, we've paid a price. You know, we've planted... Uh, many, many, you know, we've planted two dozen churches domestically, multiple churches overseas, given away dear friends, millions of dollars. I know the church would be larger than it is if we hadn't given away all of these fantastic leaders, but the kingdom wouldn't be larger. And what God wanted to happen in other cities wouldn't, uh, you know, have occurred. And so... You know, we are servants of the kingdom, not just servants of our local church. So as a church, uh, we are very much signed up for this idea. We do want to give away our best. This guy uh, gave away a pastor called Jay Pathak, funnily enough. He was on his staff, and he gave him away to plant a church. And he's now been profoundly influential uh, to many, many, many churches worldwide, including this church. The entire neighboring series we did 18 months ago was directly uh, from him. And the series we just finished on, on Jesus was also uh, kind of from him using some other materials. So so he's, so he's in order to think for things to grow, we have to multiply. We have have to give them away and this is very much on our radar as a church you know we are thinking about this we want uh, to do this we're going to be talking more about it later in this year it's not something that we've done for a while but it is something we're thinking about doing so in summary church development and church planting are the same things they're two sides of the same coin we're called to grow and we're called to multiply we're called to be discipled and we're called to make disciples these are the two arms of the vineyard okay this is the key uh, the kind of key outreach that we do it's making disciples it's not just giving someone a little leaflet in the hope that they might read it it's about pouring out our lives uh, on and with the people whom god is asking us to do um, now, many of, us, many of us are already doing this, and that's wonderful. Um, I know that I can do this more, and I'm trying to do this more. Uh, instead of having superficial relationships, I'm trying to deepen relationships with, with all the people around me, uh, whether they are uh, people who come to church who are following Jesus or people who, who aren't. Uh, and, and just kind of trying to work out, you know, who is God asking me to spend time with? Who is God asking me to pour my life into? No matter what their uh, religious background or, or what their belief system um, you know, we don't have to convince people to follow Jesus. Some of them won't. Some of them won't choose to accept him. But if God is asking us to pour our lives into them, we do it anyway. Um, most people like Jesus, but are put off by Christians or by the church or by religion or by something like that. So let's just talk about Jesus and not worry about getting them to come to church so that they can be taught by an expert. But let's just teach them what we know. Um, we already know quite a lot, uh, more than we realize. Uh, let's just start making disciples. Um, so as we come into a close um, I've talked for quite a while and I, I want to stop there uh, I just feel that there's um, let's actually stand and uh, get the band to come back before we do that thanks guys I think that there's there's a number of us I was praying about this before the service and I felt that there may be a number of people here who have become obsessed by living safely our culture in Britain and in the West, places a high value on safety. 
and are not on risk-taking. Um, and it is okay to take risks for the kingdom. It is okay to step out and do something different. You know, if God is calling you to maybe church planting or, or a new level of leadership or something higher, like Paul was saying earlier, you know, I'd encourage you to step out and embrace that if that's from him. Not all churches succeed. Some churches close. That's okay. God asks us to go. We go anyway. Um, so if you, if that's you, I'd encourage you to come forward for prayer. Um, some of you, it may also be that you are wanting to kind of sign up to this for the first time today. You've never actually said, yeah, I want to try and follow Jesus then. We'll give this a go. Uh, if that's you, I'd encourage you and maybe to come forward and talk to maybe Paul or myself, and we'll do that. Uh, we'll talk that through with you together. Um, the other thing I think uh, that God is saying is that there are some people here who have been bound up by this idea of having to evangelize people, having to convince people about God, and, and, and actually it's really just sharing what you love with people you love. And if you want to push into that more today, if you want to push into that idea and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to those people of peace... Uh, if you want to learn a bit more about how to make disciples rather than just having superficial conversations with your friends, I'd encourage you to come forward and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And we'll, we will pray for you. A number of other folk will come and, and uh, we will pray for you and ask God we'll do that for you. Um, so we're just going to pray. If you would like to come up, uh, do come up straight away because uh, we've kind of run out of time. Uh, so the band is just going to play, but come up now if you would like that as the music starts and we will pray for you. So Father, I thank you uh, for your Holy Spirit here. And I ask that you would come now and fill us and guide us as to what you want us to do.